And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Howdy, everybody. This is Arthur Staple. Welcome back to No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. We're into the playoffs, and that means we've got a very tired AJ Maletsko on with us. <laughs> Hi, AJ. How are you? Uh, well, aren't we all tired, no matter what, working or fans, no matter what we're doing? These are some late nights, exciting hockey, but um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm actually home. Right now, and taking a break from folding laundry to Chad Isles. Well, that's a good time to do it. Um, let's jump right in with uh, last night, Game 5. Um, you know, we we were talking about it. We were texting about it last night. We were talking about it t- uh, just before we started. What a weird, weird game for such an important game. Weird in the fact that the Islanders basically didn't show up for two-plus periods, and then that you know weird that a guy that we didn't even think would be playing a minute in the playoffs saved their their series basically in Ilya Sorokin. So we'll start with the good stuff. Um man, there were some saves that Ilya Sorokin made. You know, I, I thought game one and game four he was really good but didn't need to make like any crazy saves. But that the like the tip by Freddie Gaudreau in overtime where he just like didn't even know it hit him and it hit his pad and he hit a couple with the knob of his stick. That was kind of like the uh, that's a signature performance. That's the you're an Islander now performance, I would think. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing that's so crazy to me is that you, there, a good goaltender is going to make the stops that they're supposed to make. A great goaltender is going to make some of those stops that he's not supposed to make and, and does save his team. Now, that's fine for 20 minutes in the first period. A little alarming that they didn't show up, but, you know, okay. And then second period, you've got 40 minutes now. And that, to me, was what was fantastic news for the, for the Islanders right now that Sorokin put him on his back and saved them. And it's also obviously fantastic for the future of this program, this um, franchise, because Ilya Sorokin is proving that he is truly the goalie of the future, but he was impressive. And to me, I watched the, uh, when I was watching the first period, I was so frustrated with their D zone because I had just spent the pregame talking about how good it was on Saturday and how they had sort of reverted back to the Islander style hockey that it was like Saturday was a a sigh of relief in some ways that, okay, they played a full effort, full full game. They were pretty solid in the D zone. They did what they were supposed to do. And then they came out and it was just lackluster and they were turning pucks over and they were, they just weren't hard on pucks. That's a very trots phrase you and I have heard time and time again. Uh, but that was, you know, and I kept looking for the offensive zone because I had I had heard the Zoom for the Penguins. Their big thing is we don't want to let the Islanders get inside, get inside the dots, get in front of the net. We're going to be tough boxing them out. So that was sort of where my eyes were looking to go. And it was like 12 or 14 minutes into the first period. I'm like, I don't think they've had it in the offensive zone. <laughs> so, I mean, I laugh about it, but it was it was a frustrating game. But, it, you know, as far as the good, man, Sorokin, as, as Barry Trott said, he was outstanding. And this is a guy, you know, we talk about rookies and he's 25 years old and he's been a pro for a long, long time in, the, in Russia in a real league making real money, which is part of the reason we hadn't ever seen him in the United States before because he was making $2 million a year and you get a lot of stuff paid for in the KHL if you're a big Russian uh, 
player, goalie, or skater. Um, he was playing on one of the big teams, uh, Cheska in Moscow. Um, so he had a lot of things going for him in the KHL. He won a championship a couple of years ago. Decided to come over after all these years. And when you decide to come over, that's a big enough adjustment for anybody, I would think, whether you're Finnish or Swedish or Russian. It's just an adjustment if you spent your whole life in your in the place where you grew up. He decides to come over before the bubble a year ago, almost a year ago now, um, is in the bubble, just practicing, can't play, learning English online, getting basically locked in a hotel room with like 30 guys he's never met before, um, trying to take all this in. He spends a lot of the off season uh, on Long Island in a hotel, practicing with Mitch Korn and Piero Greco, maybe with whoever is around to shoot some pucks on him, um, goes into the season. First game in after Varlamov catches one in the throat at the Garden in game two, goes right into the net. First NHL game, first shot goes in, gives up a couple of bad ones, uh, you know, bounces back. It's just been and then has a great season. And, you know, in another year when there weren't so many great rookie goalies and rookie players, he might be a Calder Trophy candidate. And then we go into the playoffs and it's Varlamov. Semyon Varlamov is our number one. He's gotten us here. Not healthy enough to play the first game. Sorokin plays really well, wins in overtime. Varlamov goes in, loses two, doesn't look so great in losing the second one. Sorokin comes back, and now they're on the verge of winning the series. This has been a hell of a year for this guy, and it is remarkable that, to see kind of like when he came in last year, how excited everybody was, even at the prospect of him not playing, to now. Could you ever envision that maybe, the like you said, the future of the franchise, which is now maybe even we're just looking to next season in net, has changed pretty dramatically just in these last few days? Yeah, it really has, and it's um, it's surprised all of us because of the last two years, the postseason with Barry Trotz, he picked a guy and went, right? And, and both seasons, he started with the alternation, right? The, every right. one one game, one game, one game, you know, with first Grice and Leonard, and then uh, Grice and Varlamov last year, and then it was last year, it extended even further than usual based on the fact that both goaltenders were healthy um, for much of the season. And then they, but still, getting to the playoffs, it was very clear, it was Varlamov's net, and he carried them through to the Eastern Conference final. And it was quite a performance. And Varley was very, very good. And and by the way, Grice was fantastic too. And Grice is, is such a good goalie partner, I think. And the way that they, I got to see them interact a lot based on the, my position between the benches up until COVID hit. And, you know, I think that when you look at now the expectation, as you said, it was going to be Varley. It was his net. And that tweak, all of us, none of us know what's going on, right? All of us can speculate that that's why maybe Varlamov isn't playing up to snuff. None of those goals that he gave up were bad goals. I wouldn't have called any of them soft goals. Now, with that said, should he have saved one of them? And back to what I was saying before is a great goaltender has to make some of those saves that you don't expect him to make. You have to have a couple of those ooh and ah moments where it's just like an amazing save. Um, and I, to me, Sorokin, I think what impressed me the most about him was his composure because not only was this just his second playoff game, it was with fans and it's loud. And this whole season, I know he's played in the KHL, but this whole season, the, the buildings have been quiet. And up until very recently, even with a thousand fans, it was great to have some people back starting in March, but it's really starting to rock now and enemy territory. And, and you look at who's on the Penguins roster. I mean, that's pretty intimidating. And you've got a Russian rookie goaltender facing off of Genny Malkin, right? And yeah. he gets that early goal on him, a power play goal. And it didn't phase him. 
that was crazy to me. I mean, to me, maybe he wanted that goal back. It was a great shot by Malkin. And he just came and he had that poke check on Carter. Um, so I was, I think that overall, I, there's a lot of bad about the game last night. Uh, but the good is they won and Sorokin's play. I mean, those are the two things. And and you and I were talking quickly too. Adam Pellick had a great game. I mean, he really, he was a bright spot. He did. We'll get to some of the bad and how that's, we're both a little you know, concerned. Concerned is probably the good word. Nobody's freaking out just yet because they are they are on the verge of possibly closing the series out tomorrow night. But um, out of the 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 concern level now, I think is uh, especially a lot of their defense look a little worn down, even though they've been distributing the minutes pretty well. Uh, very frustrated, I think, by the Penguins' forecheck, which has really prevented a lot of their, you know, like the, the guys that can skate their way out of trouble or, or are used to kind of leading the breakouts in transition. Guys like Dobson and Letty have really been really been frustrated this series. But, but Adam Pellick had a big game. And I think, you know, you, you tend to overlook him in terms of the numbers. They're always going to look bad in a series against the Penguins when he and Pollock are matched up against Sidney Crosby. And Sidney Crosby, even though he's only got two points, you know, the the shot share for that line when they're on the ice is like 67%. Like, it's it's a crazy number, that the amount of time that they've spent in the offensive zone, that Crosby-Rust-Gensel line. But I think last night, you were right, Pellick looked a little bit stronger, looked a little bit more sure of himself. He's still making Jake Gensel his personal hand puppet where he's just ragdolling that guy around the ice, which I think is, you know, it's from an Islander perspective, it's hilarious to watch because Gensel is really, really, you know, he's an important player for the Penguins and he's really looks like the guy who's been affected the most by the physicality of the Islanders. And it really is all coming from Pellick. So yeah, I, I agree. He, he definitely stood out and that was, you know, something that they needed. You can't just lean on your goalie the entire time. Yeah, and you know there were little. There was a play that I have in my mind. It was a gap control play, right? His stick was in the perfect position. His body was in the perfect position. It was a pass across at the at uh, the Islanders' defensive blue line, and he broke it up before they even entered the zone. And they need more of that, especially in a game like last night where they were struggling big time. Once the Penguins established their forecheck, I mean, there were stretches where. Uh, the Islanders couldn't get out of their own way. They were running around and, and you know, missed coverage and whatever it may be. But I think for the most part, when you look at the way that big hit on Gensel, right, and that high slot area, he crushed him. Legal hit, uh, but it was a big hit. And I agree with you. Gensel can be, I mean, you go back to 2017, the year the Pens won their second of the back-to-back Cups, and that was Gensel's rookie year. He came in and he led them in playoff points, I think, and I don't have it in front of me, but I know he had 21 points because I looked it up last night. I mean, that he came in and, and it's easy to say, oh, well, he's playing on Sidney Crosby's line. He is, but it's hard to play with a superstar. I mean, Sidney Crosby is incredible and he moves and, you, and he's oh, got incre- amazing vision, but it's also intimidating and he demands a lot. I mean, he demands an incredible amount of detail and work ethic and all those things. But it, from the beginning, Mike Sullivan, Sullivan has said that they've clicked and they've had other people in line with them. And Brian Ross, that, that those three have been good. But the fact that Pellick was able to sort of get in their heads a little bit and, and you know, you saw the in game um, four on Saturday, you saw Brock Nelson matched up against Crosby a lot and sort of roughing him up. So that physicality, I think, is so important. But Pellick was the only, and Peugeot maybe, were the only two that I really saw exert some physicality um, throughout the game. And that, you know, I think that that's something that they're going to need to do. And they're going to need to, coming back home when they get the matchups, the favorable matchups that they want, uh, we're going to look to Pellick and Pollock to do a lot more of that. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So we talked about the good, which uh, few and far between moments. Um, the bad. We'll start with Oliver Wallstrom, which he's not played bad. But it was a bad scene on the ice in the third period last night where he took a big a big collision with Mike Matheson. Could have been a high-sticking penalty. I didn't think the collision part was particularly dirty. But the way that Wallstrom went on the boards was ugly. His head snapped to the side. Knee was completely caught underneath him. And I think the knee was the one that ended up being the real problem. Didn't look like he put much weight on it. Didn't come back. Barry Trotz had no update. Not a surprise. I reported uh, in my story today and have heard that uh, it may not be quite as bad as it looked, um, that there's a chance that he could, I don't know if he can come back tomorrow. I think that's a little far-fetched, but uh, I don't think he's, we're not going to see him. Uh, I don't think he's going to be missing for months and months, which is certainly what it looked like initially. Now, Wallstrom's been good. If they need a replacement, Barry Trotz said it's probably going to be Travis Zajac. Do you agree with that, You know him being the guy that, that slots in next? I do, um, based on, uh, yes, I do, but I, it's a hard one, right? Because Barry Trotz went through a lot of iterations here of different people that have been in the lineup. I, I think that Travis, Travis Ajak, with his experience, with it, uh, maybe a little bit of hunger, um, I think he is he is probably the right guy, uh, but I see him with limited minutes. Uh, so I don't, I don't know that he'll um, slot right in and play the Pajot type of minutes uh, just because Pajot plugs into so many different places. Um, and also I don't know that the lines will stay exactly the same. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, if I were Barry Trotz, I would not mess with that second line. I think they have been yeah. good. Um, and I think that depending, I, they've tried Zajac on that top line and it didn't work. So I imagine that if it is him, he would slot right in with, uh, on that third line with Pajot and Paul Mary. Um, but that gives two really experienced uh, face-off people on the, on the ice, which is good, I guess. Um, but it is a, it, it'll be interesting to see with Wallstrom only because it looked horrible to your point. I mean, I was wor- initially worried about head and neck and especially coming a couple days after the Tavares thing, which was horrifying right. to see also. Um, but it did look like knee, but his knee went in a funny way. And so if, if I thought that I did hear after the game last night that he said he's going to, He's listed him as day to day, but I don't know if that's just Barry Trotz throwing terms out at us so that we stop asking. Um, but, you know, I, I think that you change the lineup and anything can happen. But in some ways, it may not be a bad thing. Change it up. It was so stale last night. I know they came away with a wind. I don't mean to be negative, but it was so stale that if he's got to change it up, it may not be a bad thing. Yeah, and I agree. I think the Nelson line was probably their best line last night, and obviously they're not messing with the Zizekas line. My, I agree that the Zajac barzal Everly line was not great, um, but I'm not so sure that uh, that keeping Komarov there is going to help necessarily. I think Komarov and Pajot, who are a, a good penalty-killing duo, 
you know, might work well together with Paul Mary back over on his natural right side and then Zajac maybe giving a little bit more freedom for, for Barzal, a guy who can win faceoffs and has played the traditional center role. Um, you know, and I, and I understand the fans can, you know, they want to see Michael Del Call is younger, got a little bit better, you know, foot speed than, than Zajac. They, some people still want to see Kiefer Bellows since he's more of a scorer like Wallstrom is. And look, it, not just because it's the playoffs. Uh, if you're an Islander fan, you you understand the way that Barry Trotz approaches these things, even in the regular season. That like his his first priority when making a lineup changes is this guy going to be responsible? Can I trust this guy? He's not winging it, and he's not going to put Bellows in after not playing him for the last six to eight weeks. He's not going to put Michael Del Call on the top line because he thinks you know it might work with his foot, you know, with his his ability to dig pucks out. He's going with what he knows, and Travis Ajak, even though he hasn't been an Islander for very long, is a known quantity. And the other part of it is uh, when Travis Ajak was with the Devils, the guy that went out most of the time to take draws against Sidney Crosby and try to shadow Sidney Crosby around was Travis Ajak. And he did it pretty well. Crosby doesn't light up the Devils the way that he does the Islanders and everybody else in the division. So um, I think there's a lot of things to from the Islanders' perspective, from a Barry Trotz perspective, that says, yes, Travis Ajak is the choice, and some fans will be upset about it. And I don't know what I don't know where you put that, but you have to understand this is this is the island this is the Islanders' way. They're going to accept winning a game like they did last night and not necessarily chew over too much how they got there. Right. Well, you said fans will be angry about it, of course, but that's also the right of every fan of every team, right? Is to have an opinion and and to second guess until the team wins, right? And that's why. But even, I, after, and even after, even after, have you I've been, been around long enough? <laughs> but even with that said, it's it's also I'm not I'm not criticizing uh, fans because I think that that's part of the fun of it is to try to figure it out and and when you've got a great coach like Barry Trotz, you know that first year no one questioned anything because he exceeded expectations, but he's now set the bar high. So they, you know, I think they going to the Eastern Conference Final last year, last summer, everybody was upset when they lost because it was so close to going to the final. But all said and done, I think people are, if you had said at the beginning they're going to go to the Eastern Conference final, people would have been happy about it. Barry Trotz will still say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see that at my deathbed. I'm going to feel that loss to the Tampa Bay Lightning at my deathbed. So they, he really took that personally. And now it's, it's one of those things where we're in this next round. Now that they've gone that far, they're in this dogfight in the first round, and there's so many question marks, and there's so many things. And now Barry Trotz is, certainly has to earn his stripes a little bit because, I mean, he's got street cred. But what I mean is that he's got to actually coach now. A lot of times when you look at some of these coaches in the NHL, they're just given a tremendous amount of skill and talent. And right now, Barry Trotz has that, but he's got to put the pieces together. When you get to the playoffs and you get into a deep run, it becomes more of a chess match and you've got the home ice advantage. And how do you make that an advantage? And how do you put these pieces together? And then at the end of the day, how do you motivate these guys? They all get motivated differently. Um, They all need different things from the coach. And, And Barry has said to you and I on the Zoom that, you know, all players will be treated fairly, but not equally. Right. And that's that goes back to when we were talking about Leo Komarov had a longer leash at the beginning of the season than a Kiefer Bellows. Um, so it'll be interesting. I do think Travis Zajac will be a good fit for them. Um, and it's an, that's an interesting point about Sidney Crosby because there are so many X factors on the, that's, I guess that goes against the definition of an X factor, but there are a lot of people to worry about on the, in the Penguins roster. But I mean, when you, they keep 87 off the score sheet, they tend to do pretty well. Yeah. So we'll quickly go over some of the other problems that we had with the game last night to me overall and we can we can dig in a little bit on the fact that the Islanders at least for the first 45 minutes of that game couldn't get out of their zone 
almost almost at all. Like there's just whether it was bad passes from the defense, weak plays by the forwards along the wall. You know, it, it was the one thing I think that's carried over from the regular season when the Penguins won six of eight against them. Was the Penguins D are very aggressive when the puck comes up the wall. They don't they don't sit back. They're not looking to you know kind of uh, play a you know go go back and retrieve pucks. They want to keep possession. And they want to keep it moving. They press up on the wall. And the Islanders forwards along the wall, or maybe the supporting forwards, just aren't in position to to adjust to that happening. And it's been happening all year now, and certainly all series, and really last night in the first two periods, which is why they got into so much trouble in the first and second period. And um, you know, you played D and you played forward. Which is it to you when you watch them fumble the puck uh, that they have possession of behind their own net? Is it is it a bad pass and a bad read from a defenseman, or is it just a soft play from the forward, or is it? As Barry likes to say, a little bit of both. I was going to say, should I pull a Barry Trotz and say it's, <laughs> it's never one thing? Um, That's right. You know, and every situation is different. And I remember this when I played, and I remember, and when I coach kids now, it's it's um, I can a kid comes to the bench and I can walk him through what just happened and tell him different options or her options, and then it, but that play that you just experienced will never happen that exact same way again, right? But overall, the theme was they couldn't get the puck out of the zone. What I saw was that more often than not, all three forwards were stretching the zone. They were stretching to the far blue line. They were trying to get that that transition to the neutral zone with a pass rather than with their legs. And when they do that, it really does put our defensemen under pressure. So when you look at the Isles D, they're going back. to They have to go back, get the puck. They look up, and now they see a wall of yellow. And they might see the three white jerseys on the other side of the wall of yellow, but they got to get it there. And that's that's a challenge, right? So, uh, you know, they started to maybe come back. It's it's one thing to stretch the offside wing, right? You're coming out the left side and you stretch the right wing. Maybe that pushes the D back, that opens up, gives some space. Um, but I think that it is the forwards coming back to support. Now, with that said, there were plenty of times that the D, the forwards did start to do that. And then the D would give them a bad pass. And that, I remember when I did transition from forward to D, that that was one of the things that was hammered home to me. That first breakout pass has to be perfect. And I know perfect doesn't really exist, and, ho- and hockey's a game of mistake, but that you have to that's a mental thing. You have to make that pass right on their stick, crisp, and it, you can't make any mistakes about it because that sets up the entire breakout. Yeah, and, I, and as we said kind of in the first segment, I think the, the guys that have looked the worst in this series are the guys that are used to either using their feet or using that first pass to get moving and then not having to worry so much about being stuck in their zone for 45 or 50 seconds. And it's Nick Letty and it's Noah Dobson. Um, you know, it, it, Scott Mayfield had a rough one last night. He had that turnover in the first period where he kind of banked it off the wall right in front. It was like a knock hockey play right for Brian Rust that, that Sorokin – stopped but uh but I think the reason that Mayfield has looked good and guys like Pellick have looked good is that you're basically just trying to outwill people in your own zone and then just kind of squeeze the puck out and worry about possession later it's that the Islanders are definitely in that kind of mode and that is a Scott Mayfield style of play where you're just you know you can you can crush people six or seven times and they're not going to call blow a whistle on you um and then you kind of squeeze the puck off off the wall and you've got to uh, a Penguins player who's maybe pinned against the boards or you're laying on top of him or something. And it's just, it's ugly hockey. Um, and that's not Nick Letty style hockey. So how do you, if you're a Nick Letty who's done what he's done in the league for a dozen years and done it pretty well, um, how do you make those adjustments? How do you suddenly say like, I, I got to just, you know, put more effort in and less, you know, less 
thinking that skill is going to get me out of this. You know what is so interesting to me is I thought Nick Letty had a great season, a great regular season, and he really was using his legs a lot more than I remember him using it using them last year. I love watching him skate, but I remember there were times last year I was frustrated he wasn't using his legs, and uh, and I thought this season he looked engaged in that way, and he was really transporting the puck himself. I, I think for him, it's uh, part of it is is simplifying, right? And so it's using your legs when it's there and finding the space, and that sounds. It, it that unfortunately that's it is it isn't always as easy as it sounds, uh, but it's trying to find those lanes. It's trying to and but being sure about the passes, right? I mean that's the big thing is that maybe he'd make a good move, make a couple steps into open space, and then go to make a pass, and it's behind them or it's intercepted or whatever it may be, right? So it's just simplifying that stuff. But it's also you look at you know Pelican Pollock have. They've been together for a couple of years. They're the shutdown pair. He and Mayfield, you know, earlier in the year, I thought that they struggled as a pair. I thought Letty had a good individual season in some ways, but that May- Mayfield was struggling. And now Mayfield looks fantastic. I mean, he's – and now nobody really looked fantastic last night, but <laughs> except for Sorokin. Uh, but he, you know, he's really had a, a good playoff run. And um, so it is it is interesting. You saw last night for s- parts of it, I think Barry Trotz switched those D pairs – a yeah. little bit just to give a different look. So, you know, if it, as a defenseman, if you're having trouble and you're going through that, it is talking to your partner. It's talking to the forwards. It's talking to your coaches and say, what, do, what am I missing? Looking at those iPads, right? What, what are they doing on the forecheck? And, you know, I think that what Penguins are doing, they're bringing somebody backside so that they're sort of preventing that swing around, that that makes it, there's one choice for the Islanders and it's to go right into where the Penguins are, right? So mm-hmm. they've got to use a chip into space. Right. And Letty doesn't typically like to do that. Actually, no one really does because you're giving up the puck, but you've got to chip it off the glass or off the wall into space in the neutral zone, at least get it past the blue line so that the Penguins have to regroup. And I lastly, while we're going over some of the problems, you know, game six, it's a huge game for the Islanders. They'll have I think it's nine thousand people in the Coliseum tomorrow night. Um, It'll be raucous. You know, you don't have to close it out now. They're, the Islanders have shown that they can win in Pittsburgh. It would certainly be nice to do it and give yourselves a couple of days off before the next round. Um, but really, you know, I think the story of this series for the Islanders is they're up 3-2, but they haven't led a lot. They led a lot in game four. And really, I think in the other games, they've led for a, a grand total of about four minutes in the other four games, even though they won two of them, which is bonkers. But that's playoff hockey. Um they have to be able to get to some semblance of their game uh, a lot earlier to kind of prevent the Penguins from sending wave after wave. And, and you know, I guess the biggest surprise to me about Game 5 was just that, that the level of desperation didn't seem to be there until we got uh, deep into the third period into the overtimes. Yeah, and, you know, we actually talked, Shannon and I talked about the post-game show last night about what's what's more powerful, momentum confidence or desperation, right? So right now, and and I guess the argument could be, did the Islanders build any momentum or confidence? Barry Trotz does not believe in momentum from game to game in the playoffs, and he said that before, uh, but confidence is a big one. So, but did they build confidence? Yes, they pulled out a win, and you can look at it and say, good teams can figure out ways to win, even if they don't play well, which they did. They, they figured that out last night. Um, but so did they build any confidence? That's one question. And I'm not sure they did because these guys are pretty smart hockey players and amazing athletes. So they know when a team, when they're playing well or not playing well. And I think they know they stole that game on the road, no less. Um, but then you face a desperate team. So the Penguins are up against the wall, right? This is do or die time for them. What does that look like? Because 
it's there was no desperation in the Islanders game last night at all. Now they need to figure that out. It, to your point, it'd be really nice to close it out. To go back to Pittsburgh for Game Seven um, is just it, that's if it has to be done, it has to be done, and they'll they'll do what they need to do. But man, it would be really nice if they could close it out at home in front of the fans. They're going to have more fans than we've had. I think they're upping it again for the game tomorrow night. Um, so yeah, trying to find that desperation and and recognizing that it, that that's maybe what is going to put them over the hump. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Well, we know what they need to do tomorrow. And if they do it, uh, then the Islanders know who they'd play, too, in the East East Division Finals. It would be the Boston Bruins, who uh, maybe a little bit surprisingly dispatched the caps in five games. Uh, the, you know, first three games went to overtime coin flips, and then the Bruins really seemed to take charge in those last two. Um, you've been working on, uh, a couple different series besides the Islanders. Uh, were you able to see any of that Bruins series and what did you make of it? Those, those were two teams that we saw a lot this season. So uh, I, as people know, I live in Boston. So ironically, I didn't get to see any, not, I mean, I've seen highlights or parts of it, but I did not get to actually sit down and watch any of that series because it was always on a night I was working. Uh, I've been working the Nashville Carolina series. So um, it's sort of funny because when I do come home and I see friends, they all they want to do is talk about the Bruins game. I'm like, of all of all the series, this is the one that I haven't seen a single minute <laughs> of. But with that said, I know that it was, you know, you look at it, it's a 4-1 one win for Boston and looks I know it did start opening up for in Boston's favor towards the end but um, certainly was close leading up to it and and you know the lasting images from that is the Chara going through the line and the the hugs for Bergeron the, the guy who took over the captainship and um, and of course Charlie McVoy is partner sort of mentor to him so that sort of stuff was was sort of the human side of it but it was it was not surprising to me I don't know I just I thought that I really think the Bruins have a lot of the right pieces. And I think the Taylor Hall acquisition, I mean, it was way better than I thought it was going to be, but he has, he has exploded onto the scene in Boston. Um, so I wasn't surprised, but of course now they get a lot of rest. So to your, back to your point before the Islanders, um, you know, be nice to get a little bit of rest or turn around because now they're sitting there recouping and, and gearing up for their next opponent. Yes. And as we saw, Two years ago when the Islanders breezed through the Penguins and then sat around for a week and waited for Carolina and then got Carolina breezed through them. Sometimes the rest is a little bit overrated this time of year, but uh, maybe not after the grind of the the pandemic 56 game season where everybody felt a little bit more 
uh, of the mental stress of a long of a long season isolated away from everybody. But um, you know the Bruins are playing really well, and I think the the Islanders' last couple of games with them were were not great in the regular season. You can kind of throw that stuff out this time of year um, because we have a much different situation for the Islanders. If they're advancing, Ilya Sorokin will be the main reason why, and that certainly wasn't the case when they played the Bruins in the regular season. So um, you know it. It seems on paper the Bruins would have a pretty heavy edge in that series, but you know, yeah, on paper the Penguins looked like they were going to breeze breeze through Game Five last night, and it didn't happen. So we just have to wait and see. And as far as your series, your other series, uh, since you're now uh, missed double overtime with the last three <laughs> nights, uh, the last three games you've done, um, that's a series that looked a lot, as I assume for you, has looked a little bit like the Islanders Game Five, where Nashville is being outplayed pretty badly and suddenly they're tied. Yeah. And, um, actually not on, I will not be on games. What game are they on five and six and onwards, but I've done the first four games and you know, it's interesting because Carolina is a better team on paper. They're deeper. Um, they've got, they're fast. They forecheck. And that first game, Nashville really tried to exert physical influence. They tried to just go out and basically punch them in the nose and, and see what was going to happen and, and, and rely on UC Saros, their goalie, who's been phenomenal, made 50 saves the other night in double overtime. Um, and, and I think that Nedeljkovic, the question mark for Carolina was goalie and Nedeljkovic as a rookie came in and he's been incredible. First game was a little shaky with his rebound control, but he has been so good and he, he's just made some ridiculous saves. So he's kept them in it. But, but yeah, you know, I, I have to say that I've, I've been impressed with, Nashville, they didn't roll over. They were so, I thought they were really, they were, they were outclassed, I would say. I shouldn't say that, but they were out. They just weren't as good as Carolina in the first two games. They kept it closer. It was tied 2-2 going to the third in the first game. They were just down a goal going to the second, um, in the second game going to the third. So, you know, but they did rely heavily on UC Saros and it just looked like Carolina was better. But I thought that they made some tweaks. John Hines changed their power play, took Duchesne and Johansson off the top power play, which was, you know, met with some serious question marks, talk about fans and questioning coaches' decisions. Um, But, you know, then the Predators took double overtime for both of the games at home at Bridgestone, and now it moves tonight to Raleigh. So I'll be keeping an eye on that and and see what maybe Carolina just sort of exerts their will and and carries on. Yeah, and if, uh, I guess the other theme, if the Islanders are able to pull this off tomorrow and eliminate the Penguins, we'll have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang, if you want to put them in that category. Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Darnell Nurse out. Alex Ovechkin, uh, you know, the Caps star players out. Um, you know, I think we, I feel like we say this every year after the first round that, that skill does not beat Will in the NHL postseason. And it's really coming up again. You know, that Edmonton series, those were f- pretty much four coin flip games that they lost, especially the one last night in triple overtime that none of us were were energetic enough to stay up and watch. But um, is that, do you feel like that's a problem for the NHL? I, I mean, I, you know, you see it a lot on Twitter and Twitter is not real life. It's kind of a, it's a <laughs> microscope of some people's it's opinions. It's not, thank God. <laughs> um, but a lot of people kind of have that feeling of like, we need more stars getting deeper in the playoffs. And my response to that is always, well, they should win some games then in the playoffs. It's not entirely on them, but when you see the big stars and the guy, you know, Connor McDavid's going to run away with the Hart Trophy this year, deservedly so. Um, when you see the Leafs, and obviously the John Tavares situation is is affecting that, but they have a lot, a lot more star power than the Canadians, and those are very tight games, and the Islanders are hanging in with Sidney Crosby and maybe eliminating him. Do you worry about star power in the NHL, or do you kind of feel like it's it's the hockey playoffs? This is the way it always goes. 
I mean, there's nothing you can do about it, right? I mean, that that's, and you sort of alluded to that. So yes, it would be great if Connor McDavid went deep into the playoffs and, and not just hockey fans got to see his skill, right? I mean, everyone got to see it for longer. Um, and you, any of these guys that have been knocked out, Alex Ovechkin, I mean, one of the greatest goal, the great, probably the greatest goal scorer of this generation. And it's, it is, um, it's too bad. And I'll working in, TV or in media, right? It's terrible for us too. I mean, it's, we want the stars to be on display. We want them to showcase their talent. At the end of the day though, I am also a fan of the sport and I'm a former player of the sport. So I can appreciate the teamwork that it takes too. It's not just one guy. I mean, now Connor McDavid also has Leon Dreisaitl and Darnell Nurse you mentioned. And, you know, there, there's cast of characters on these teams, but I, in some ways I sort of, it is what it is, right? If you can't figure out as a team how to overcome whatever the obstacles that face you, and you look at Edmonton, they were swept. I mean, against all odds, that was that's shocking to me that that they were swept. Not shocking that Winnipeg won that series, but in stunning fashion. And then, of course, with the uh, triple overtime. So, I, you know, I don't know what the league can do about it. I know that TV execs, and I know that um, probably print me, print uh, media execs, and certainly. NHL execs would love to see their star powers playing deep into the postseason. But at the end of the day, the game tells the story. And that's what makes it such a beautiful game. It's unpredictable. Yeah, you're not uh, you're not going to get by coaches like Barry Trotz uh, and Paul Maurice just by skill. So I guess that's the lesson to be learned that uh, if you really, really love your star players, then get rid of the coaches and maybe get rid of the goalies and we'll see what happens. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll all be in... The Coliseum, well, all meaning AJ and myself, you'll be on the MSG broadcast. I'll be sitting in my perch in the press box for game six. Uh, if it ends, the Islanders will go on and play the Bruins, and we'll keep talking about Islanders postseason here uh, on our show. So thanks as always, AJ. Get some rest. I will, and looking forward to anyone who's listening. If you're coming to the game, bring your energy. Bring the heat. I can't wait. It'll be loud. It's going to be loud. It's going to be fun. So uh, thanks as always for listening. Just a reminder, whatever platform you listen to us on, Spotify, Apple, does us great help to subscribe and leave a review. And if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash no sleep till Belmont for the latest deal. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the playoffs.